This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you live on AMI-tv. McLean's Magazine airs on Fridays at 5 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio and features readings of some of the best analysis and commentary from the pages of The Walrus, or the McLean's Magazine, sorry. Producer Don Dickinson joins us now to tell us, tell us about a few of this week's articles. Don, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Oh, you're very welcome, Alex. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. Now, there's a couple really interesting articles this week. I'm I'm really excited to dive into it. So let's start with your first one. It's about Canada's supply chain issues. And apparently one of the best solutions to all of the shipping woes isn't a bird or a plane, but it's a cargo <laughs> airship. So give yeah. us a bit of a bit of information on on airships and kind of the history that they've had. Well, as everybody knows, well, I shouldn't say everybody, as all us old folk know, Alex, (laughs) (laughs) when it comes to airships, everybody thinks about, you know, the terrible disaster of uh, the Hindenburg, right? And that was, you know, just a loss of life. And and after that, basically, you know, it it was not the, the sort of thing that was used anymore. But for years, these vessels have actually clocked impressive transatlantic transatlantic flights. They've hosted delightful leisure cruises. Uh, They've been used for world military operations. Uh, Their appearance was brought about by technological advances, obviously. Um, Sorry, their disappearance was brought about by technological advances. Um, Such things as aircraft like Boeing 747, uh, which came around in the 70s, they were just simply faster and more efficient, and then they were lighter than uh, than dirigibles. Uh, but lately, surprisingly enough, Alex, uh, airships have been making a comeback. Now, for me, like when I think of an airship, at least in modern sense, like the only time I would ever see one would be at like a sporting event that you would have one. It's a sponsor that you have the the one floating around, but they never really seem to be you know, doing much or or capable of much, especially when you compare it to more modern technology and planes. But why are they making a comeback, Don? I'm I'm just baffled by this. Yeah, I know. It was a surprising article for me too. They you think of them as kind of, you know, cumbersome and 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 like big whales in the sky, you know, they're slow and whatnot. But in actual fact, they have low emissions uh output, they have a prac- uh, attractive price tags, and the serious need for freight solutions in a troubled global supply chain means that they're actually being looked at again quite seriously. Um and also, uh they're hybrid in form, okay? So theoretically, uh, airships could you could be used to carry basically anything, building materials, food supplies, even people. Um, so in 2012, uh, when the F- French Ministry of Agriculture and Food needed a high-capacity machine to transport difficult-to-extract wood from forests high in the Alps, they used airships. So there's different... Um, different things being being uh, uh, experimented with and uh, it turns out they're they're quite good at the job now here here's a question for you do you ever see yourself like hopping in <laughs> in an airship like i i never kind of thought it's like oh I, i'm 
I'll I'll go on an airship ride. It never just appealed to me. But you know, as, as you're listing all these things, like the environmental impact, because we know with when it comes to like air airliners and 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 jets and and stuff like that, it's like the the uh, the fossil fuels and the 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 gas that's needed to power those uh, those uh, airlines. It's it's immense. So would you ever decide to go on an airship? Oh, yeah, I, I, I think so. I, I don't think I'd be I mean, I've been ballooning. I'm, you know, I'm not scared of being up in the air. Uh, and uh, I really think that, you know, because of the improvement in all the safety factors and because of the, um, as you say, the hybrid capacity, I, I think it would be something that I would definitely entertain. Yeah, absolutely. And so what is Canada's involvement in all this? You mentioned that there, uh, there was a push in, uh, by the, the French ministry, but what about Canada? Yeah, so in, 19, uh, in 2019, the Quebec government invested $30 million to develop and build flying whale airships in the province. Uh, the current model uh, has an oblong uh, superstructure and a cargo bay that's 96 meters long, 8 meters wide, and 7 meters high. The lift is powered by helium, not hydrogen, thank God. Uh, which <laughs> uh, Right now, the airships run on a hybrid propulsion system. And they they will be fully electric by 2030. So uh, it's definitely the Quebec's obviously jumped in first uh, with the investment there of the 30 million. But it's the kind of thing where they think it's going to be um, developed basically uh, nationwide. That's fascinating. We may be seeing more airships in in our skies going forward, reliving this kind of weird steampunk uh, future that we have in front of us. But um, Moving on, you had another article, and it's about the issues of the healthcare system and looks at Alan Drummond, an ER doctor whose emergency department is close to collapsing. So it, it seems like every day we're, we're hearing new issues and new concerns about the ER and the healthcare system. But can this firsthand account seems to be extremely moving. So can you give us a, a bit of an overview on this article? Uh, yeah, this uh, this is quite an extensive article in uh, in this month's uh, McLean's. It's a very very personal article, and I think that's why it's so impactful, Alex. Because you know we hear it on the news all the time, as you said, and you know we know that you know things are in dire straits when it comes to emergency medicine. But he is really speaking on a very personal le- level. Um, eh, Everything that happens, basically, that has happened across Canada is happening in his department in Perth. And he said that it's also happening roughly in the 850 um, emergency departments nationwide. And, of course, when it comes right down to it, we're talking about overcrowding, staff shortages, violence, abuse, burnout, patients warehoused in the ER because they can't get a bed. And he says, you know, Perth is just basically a little microcosm of what's happening on a national basis. Wait times for non-admitted patients to see a doctor have shot from one hour to five, and that's a minimum, Alex. Patients uh, who need a bed might wait up to 24 hours or more. And the provincial average for emergency patients is now at 21 hours, sometimes longer. We all know this is happening, but he brings a very, very personal feel to it and talks about some very, you know, day-to-day things that are happening in his department that are just atrocious. Well, and this is 
the thing that I always think of anytime I, I see one of these news stories, as I mentioned, you know, they, it seems like it's almost every day that you're you're hearing something new. It's like the situation is horrendous, but without people like Alan, uh, Dr. Alan Drum in those emergency rooms and, and in the uh, in the hospitals continuing to work, it would be so much worse. Like we were we've been in this situation for the past few years with, with the pandemic, but it just goes to show that there's been such a an issue that's been under the surface that's now boiled up. But you you talked about the the hospital uh, bed wait times to going almost over a day in some cases. What about patient care? How has that been affected? Well, it, dramatically, Alex, dramatically. I mean, under these conditions, he states that it's nearly impossible to maintain the compassion and care that actually should be intrinsic to professional um, uh, medicine, right? Uh, the humanity and decency that good doctors should be bringing to their work is very difficult to exercise. Um, a humane ER is not one in which patients are dying in the halls, he says. As we're, as we've seen in Canada these past two years and more, it's not one where seemingly healthy people learn of terminal diagnoses and illnesses in exam rooms uh, commandeered for brief, brief moments of privacy and where violence and abuse has become run-of-the-mill. And then he speaks to the, the fact that the violence in these emergency rooms has skyrocketed because you're getting very um, irate patients who are waiting a long, long time. And of course, they're ill. So they're not you know, they're not in the best of condition to begin with. And then you're getting doctors who are working unbelievable hours to kind of keep up with all this uh, uh, overflow of patients. So obviously, I mean, this is just like a rock meeting a hard place, right? Uh, people get very, very frustrated, very, very annoyed. There's no privacy. And, you know, they can hear, you know, can you imagine? I mean, you're you're in a hallway, you can hear all that's going on and screaming and yelling, and then you're being told what's wrong with you and oh my god it's 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 just dire circumstances and of course when that happens you get abuse you get patients who are abusive of doctors and you get doctors who are very tired and very frustrated so it's it's just not good all the way around absolutely i mean it, it it's just such a uh an awful situation and and hopefully there is some change coming. But uh, in, in Dr. Drummond's case, there was a, a family, a personal family experience that changed how he he treated patients. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah, this was absolutely tragic because here's a man who's given everything to medicine all his life. I mean, really dedicated himself and sat on various committees and, and, and uh, in addition to all the work that he does on a day-to-day basis. And in 2010, one of his children, Hillary, found a lump in her breast. Uh, at first, they weren't all that concerned. He was thinking it was probably something like a cyst or something, but it turned out it was not. And it was cancer, and she was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Um, he says, quote, I knew Hillary was going to die, but I wanted to have I wanted her to have a full life as long as possible. And through my daughter's experience, I saw medicine from a different angle, and I was totally shocked. After meeting some of her doctors, I thought, why are these people even in this profession? But now I think that maybe they weren't simply bad doctors. Maybe they were just terribly burned out at the end of the rope and having given all that they could. So, you know, as you stated, Alex, this began long before the pandemic. The pandemic was basically the straw that broke the camel's back. But we've had, um, you know, 
we haven't had the the sort of uh, emphasis and the the money going into healthcare that we should have had for basically, I would say, a good thirty years, right? And we have to we have to rectify this because, as we all know. Uh, Canada is getting older, and there's more seniors, and, uh, you know, we can't have seniors, uh, well, we we're trying to rectify that now, as we've heard in the, in the news, right, uh, can't have seniors taking up beds that people who are in dire straits in emergency needs though, need those beds. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think we're going to have to come with some creative solutions to to solve our, our current healthcare crisis. But uh, Don, we're going to have to let you go, but thank you so much for chatting with me, bringing these two fascinating articles. It was great to dive a bit deeper. Yes, yes. Thank you, Alex. Bye-bye. Don Dickinson is the producer of the reading program McLean's Magazine, which airs Fridays at 5 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hadjar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.